Good evening, and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. I'm creating an intro because we have a guest, Jason Almy of Shit Happens When You Party Naked. He has a degree in film. We're going to talk about film noir and other filmmaking aspects, so stay tuned. I promise you an informative and entertaining show, Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, coming up with Jason Almy of Shit Happens When You Party Naked. All right. Can you hear me? I can hear you. How's it going? All right. It's going good. Let me cue you up real quick. Hell yeah. Good evening. I'm not going to do the usual intro. This is the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. We have a guest. This man has a degree in film. None other than Lord Jason Almy. What's going on? What's good, man? How's it going? It's it's going interesting. Um, I, I watched a non-film noir film today. Uh Escape from New York. Do you have permission to do that in November? <laughs> Escape from New York, no. November? November? Yeah, that's, well, the whole theme, what I, you know, like this is noir November. I thought, okay, that goes together. And so that's why I'm doing the documentaries in December, December documentaries, but mm. they're good at all music. You know, I've already kind of begun recording some of them. Yeah, there's so many to do. There's a ton of music docs. Huh? There's a ton of music docs. There's a lot of... And, yeah, I I had to make a calendar. So... That's good organization. How how are... I mean, you've got a degree in film. I mean... I do, yeah. Yeah, so I went to the University of Georgia when I graduated high school. I went to UGA. Um, Okay. Because I I lived in Georgia. I'm from Atlanta. And, um... And... Uh, in fact, I was just watching the University of Georgia Bulldogs win, so go dogs. But I wound up studying uh, film film studies. So there's a lot of like film theory. It wasn't filmmaking like technique. We didn't hold cameras or anything. We mostly read books about the way films are constructed and how like filmmakers create meaning and like different uh, themes of films and stuff like that. And so that's why film noir is like that's so interesting to me. I, I've loved. First of all, I've loved your show during uh, during yeah. November because uh, November. I wish I'd thought of November. That's awesome. <laughs> so, but then B, there's so many good films to talk about when you're talking yeah. about that genre and that like filmmaking style and convention because you can talk about classic Hollywood films of the 1940s and 50s, but then you can also talk about films that were made in more modern times, like you recently talked about Blade Runner and yeah. you can talk about these things because there's like this thread of like filmmaking style and genre styles that, that like run through of course. And so it's mm-hmm. like, who doesn't want to hear about all these different films? Who doesn't want to talk yeah. about Raymond Chandler, Dashiell Hammett and stuff like that? Oh. I mean, it's, there's some really great stuff out there and um, it's just been, it's been a thrilling month. And I, I personally am I'm a big fan of like film noir uh, mm-hmm. styles too. So, I mean, it's like, I'm excited to talk about film noir in general and even some of the specific ones that I've seen. Uh, Cause yeah. it's just a fucking cool genre. I love that it came out of, you know, so it comes out of German expressionism. Like you yeah, mentioned right. uh, F.W. Murnau. He, he made the original Nosferatu in like 20 yeah. or 21. And then of course 20, there, 
21, yeah. Yeah, so they're making these films. And uh, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Have you seen Ca Cabinet of Dr. Caligari yet? I've heard of it. I've never seen yeah. it. Yeah. I actually should see if I can find a link online to watch it for free because it, it came out in, uh, like, a, the you know, and it was the same time as, as the original Nosferatu. So it was like... Mm -hmm. It was like 1920, 1921, 22. It was somewhere there in the early 20s. It's a silent film, um, mm -hmm. but it is also a German expressionist film, and it's it's clearly filmed in sound stages and and like the lots. Um, so you can tell like with the, the stylistically the way they construct the city in the, in the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, it's about this somnambulist, this guy's been hypnotized and he sort of goes out at night to commit these crimes. And it's almost, it, it is almost like vampirish. It's the way like a vampire comes out at night and stuff like that. And of course they've got these, these scenes that occur at night uh, in this city. And so it's, it's obviously they have to portray it as very dark. And then it also helps them in terms of the style. Cause they didn't have this, they didn't really, at the time, they didn't have technology for the cinema verite. Like, we've all got iPhones. Yeah. Uh, we can, we, I mean, the iPhones, the, the fucking new iPhone 12 shoots 4K at 60 frames per second. I mean, yeah. it's craziness. I you can, it. It's, it's weird. Yeah, it's, it's an incredible, and, yeah, it's an incredible, like, it's an incredible tool, but, like, they didn't have that, so they can't go yeah. film in, like, a back alley like we could. We could go shoot something in an alleyway in a, in a city in New York or something, yeah. and, like do it on set, but they or do it on on location. They had to do everything on a set. So of course, in order to make it look a little bit more like nighttime, you know, they would have this like this darkness. And so like it comes from this sort of very practical need to to create this imagery that's like nighttime and city and and do it in a, a less expensive way because they also they're just trying to construct this stuff. But then it becomes like this thing. It's like stylistically, it's cool. Even though these guys were trying to save a buck and try to yeah. like cross this bridge that they they couldn't get, but it's like they wound up creating this thing that other people really liked and then tried to emulate. It's pretty fucking cool. You know, what's interesting is um, Alfred Hitchcock. I saw a documentary on him years ago. Yeah, that's what he met his wife Alma Reville in Germany because they were both studying the German expressionists. Hell yeah, yeah, that's very and, cool. That's why recently I talked about Notorious. Notorious has noir aspects and also the history behind that film because before Notorious, Alfred Hitchcock had no artistic control. It wasn't until, um, by coincidence, he broke away from um, David O. Selznick, who owned everything. Yeah. And David O. Selznick was doing Jewel in the Sun, which turned out to be a shit show. And so he's hemorrhaging all of this money. And they looked for something to sell, and they sold Notorious. And that's how, if it weren't for that moment, we wouldn't have Psycho, we wouldn't have Rear Window, The Birds. You know, it, it took that moment sheer for Hitchcock to just break away. And N Notorious has that scene where she's got that key and how they built that crane just to zoom in to that key. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty insane. And I love, I love Notorious, one of my favorites, because I love Cary Grant. I love Alfred yeah. Hitchcock. I love Cary Grant. Um, yeah. I'm a big fan of Notorious. And um, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a pretty incredible film. I haven't watched it in a few years, but it, it reminds me of sort of like what you were saying in one of your recent episodes about the history of film noir, talking film noir in general. Because the question is, 
the is film noir a genre unto itself or is it more of a, a stylistic choice that can be applied mm. across a more broad range of genres and i kind mm. of think it's a little bit of both like i yeah. think you can have a a film noir like when you say film noir i think what comes to most people's mind is the Dashiell Hammett story, the Raymond Chandler, the the kind of hard-boiled detective. He's morally ambiguous, but he mostly wants to do the right thing. You know, he's trying to stay on the up and up. And then you've got the femme fatale who yeah. typically tends to approach him with a job, but she's not to be trusted. This is no girl next door, right? This is a mm -hmm. naughty, this is a naughty lady. She needs to be taught a lesson. And he's thinking he might like to teach it to her. You know, and then you get this crime kind of crime. Uh, mystery thriller that that then unfolds and they're not yeah. heavy on action i like that i like that they're not they it shouldn't be like it's not a fast and the furious movie it's it, mm -hmm. there can be scenes of violence and there should be you know underneath that that uh, you know the reason why he's a private eye and she's a femme fatale is so that you could build on top of this this kind of uh subconscious threat of violence that should like per per prevail through the film and then yeah. it does kind of come up, you know, there's usually a murder, you know, something happens, something happens to her husband or something like that. So there's the idea of the, the, the film noir as that thing. But then, you know, how many times can you tell that story over the years and mm -hmm. still without people thinking I've seen this before, I don't, why yeah. am I watching this again? Why am I? So you, once you've done it, you've done it, you know, like who wants to see a remake of a remake of a remake of the wizard of Oz? Once it's been done, you know, who, who wants to, yeah, it's so I, I like the idea that people are going to take certain things from it. Like those German expressionist films that we mentioned are not film noirs, anything like like the examples that I just gave of the 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 private eye and the, the femme fatale, but it's more the the filmmaking style. style. Yeah, the technique, the yeah. visual language. Yeah, the cinematography. Yeah, I like to think about it like um I like to think about it like with like semantics is a big study in, in film theory and it's sort of like mm -hmm. how they use images. They, they relate it back to words. Like you use words to construct a sentence. So like uh, Shakespeare, he writes his tragedies in English, old mm -hmm. English, I mean, 1600s English, but, but he also writes, so like something like Macbeth or Hamlet, he's composing in the same language as a comedy, like the taming of the shrew or something like that. And this is the same author who's putting out works using the same language, like the same words, like thou, hast, art, whatever, but he's putting them together in such a way that he can either tell a tragedy like Hamlet or he can tell a comedy like Taming of the Shrew. So yeah. it's like words mean a certain thing depending on like what, what, how, like what order you put them in. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can have a sentence that means something. You rearrange the words and even using the same words, it maybe means something different. And so, like, I feel like film noir is an example of that sort of, you can see it as, like, a completed work, like a tragedy yeah. or a comedy. It's a film noir, and it has these certain elements that you expect. But the beauty of it being maybe a more semantic style that you can boil down into, like, a shot, an image, a certain mm -hmm. way of lighting, shadow, etc. then you can carry it forward, and you can see it applied in new ways in something like Blade Runner which has a yeah. lot of the same stuff. It's got your private eye who's morally ambiguous. It's got your femme fatale and Rachel. And then, but it, but then it's told across this sort of different, um, like this different landscape and cityscape. That's actually mm -hmm. even a little bit more cynical than the original, uh, than the original, uh, uh, film noir of the, of the classic period. So yeah. I think that's one of the most exciting things about it as a, you know, like the Western movie, 
Mm-hmm. I don't think the, that they could really do with the Westerns what they did with film noir, where film noir no. is like adaptable because it's mm-hmm. it's deeper. It's like at a more um, it's like it's like the coding of the Matrix. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's yeah. in there. It's like baked in. You can see it in all. Even the first Matrix, like the whole first hour of the the first Matrix movie, is very film noir in terms of yeah. style, like the way it's shot, the way it's filmed, the darkness, the uh, the the high contrast, high key lighting, etc. That, that only shows certain parts of the image and then other parts of the image are complete blackness and the way things kind of come out of that. It really, it creates a visually beautiful style. Like if you're watching a silent film, like these German expressionist films, is like you don't need the dialogue. You're watching something beautiful happen on screen. But then yeah. you also get like the Westerns. I don't think they could do that. The Western was too much of a genre. You needed the cowboy. You needed the Indians or you needed the, the guy who's the, you know, the bad guy with the TNT. You needed the guy who was... You know, like you needed the guy who was trying to, you know, uh, own the whole town and buy everybody up and the the land baron or whatever, the cattle baron. And the, you needed the kind of the outsider. But how do you take that that style? Like there's not there wasn't like a coherent visual style, I don't think, mm-hmm. at least in my opinion, where with film noir, there was sort of this coherent visual language that you could then deploy in other types of films that didn't yeah. necessarily need to have that that the same generic conventions. Yeah, and then, you know, you have the neo-noir, and that's why it, it dawned on me one night. I was talking about noir, and I thought, well, wait a minute. All of the stylistic approaches are in Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, but yeah. not the Swedish versions. They are to an extent, and so that's why I, I centered around the David Fincher version. Yeah. Because of what David Fincher is able to do as a filmmaker. I mean, you look at the, the look and feel of Fight Club, the same thing, or Panic Room, the way he kind of, you know, hints at things and he says so much, you know, with a broad stroke of the camera. Yeah. I enjoyed The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo as well. Yeah. I was kind of sad that, they, that Fincher didn't get to finish out the trilogy with, um, uh, with uh, what's her name, uh, Rooney Mara and... Um, Rooney Mara. Yeah, and Daniel Craig. Of course, I love Daniel Craig because I'm, I'm like the Bond guy. Mm-hmm. But, um, oh, yeah. I'm I'm really sad that they didn't get to finish because I was looking forward to that. But um, oh well, we got a decent movie with the the girl with the tra- dragon tattoo. And what's funny is, you know, um, that same year that uh, Christopher Plummer, who's in he's in everything, <laughs> he was he won an Academy Award for Beginners. And I someone was saying to me, "Well, why did he win?" And I said, well, "You got to understand the way the Academy is. If you've appeared in like several films that year." They're not just giving it to you for that one film. Yeah. They're like, oh, here you go. You know, um, that the same could be said about Cher when Cher won for Moonstruck. It was like, well, she was in The Witches of Eastwick, and she was in this other film, and she didn't get nominated for Mask, so let's just give it to her. Yeah. You huh. know, it's kind of like wrap it up. Yeah. That, I, I think, I mean, this is tangential to film noir, but I, I the, the, the way the Academy works, too, is like um, – Sometimes they'll give it to to somebody when they know, like, we fucked up. We should have given it to yeah. them two years ago for this other thing. So, like, you know, when 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 you when some sometimes somebody asks you, like, well, why'd they win for this? Like, I always wonder, like, Martin Scorsese, yeah, he's won an Academy Award for Best Director, but it's like, not even for his best movie. I mean, he's got such a body of work. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about a guy who's made some incredible films? He's yeah. got. 10 movies that are better than the one he won the Academy Award for. But I think it got to a point where they're thinking, well, okay, Marty's like 
70. We don't know. I mean, like, what if something tragic happened? Like, not to be too grim or whatever, knock on wood. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad the guy's still healthy and kicking and making films. But, like, if something happened to the guy and we didn't give him an Academy Award during his lifetime and we got to give him this lifetime achievement, some cop-out shit, like, you know, he deserved it for all these other films that he made. I mean, he should have won an Academy Award in the 80s. The fact that he didn't get it for Goodfellas and Kevin Costner got it for Dances with Wolves that same year, it's like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll watch Dances with Wolves maybe once every decade. I watch yeah. Goodfellas once every year, and God help me if I'm flipping through the TV uh, channels and it's on because I'm fucking watching it. I'm, I'm not going to go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I turned it on. I got it on 4K the other day. It came out in September Ooh. on 4K. So I popped it in because I wanted to show my wife. She doesn't – Christina, as much as I, – I, I sing her praises all the time, but if I may be critical of my wife for one moment, she – uh, does not believe in the 4K. She's not. She's like a 4K denier. And 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 so I can, I can see that. Yeah. I I mean, like with Goodfellas, we had a DVD copy of Goodfellas from like 2006. So mm -hmm. we needed to upgrade. When the 4K comes out, I make sure to get the 4K. And then what I did was I popped it in. I popped the DVD in. We watched the first five minutes, ten minutes, just the opening scenes. And then I popped the 4K in just to give her, I was like, we got to do a comparison side by side because I want you to see how much better the quality is. And so, of course, it's it's lights out. The quality is is incredibly better on the 4K because we're talking about an old DVD. This is 720 versus mm. versus 4K. I mean, get the fuck out of here. But my first of all, my wife's like, I don't really, I, I, don't, I see a little difference maybe. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's taking everything in me right now to not beat you. But, but uh, we watched about five minutes, and she's like, okay, don't turn it off. Like, we got to keep on. Like, it's such a good uh -huh. movie. She just gets sucked in. And, it, yeah. you know, so that's the problem with the Academy, I'm afraid. There's so many good movies out there. We're talking about good movies. We're talking about movies yeah. like Blade Runner. Chicago, uh, uh, um, Roger Ebert said that Blade Runner was shit when it came out. At least yeah, he, had the, he had the good sense to come back later on and be like, yeah, I didn't call that one right, you know? He said the same thing about A Clockwork Orange. Yeah. So it's so. kind of like, uh, but you know, the funny is Spike Lee talks about he knew who the Oscar was going to go to that night because when when uh, you got Spielberg, Scorsese, or not Scorsese, um, Coppola, and um, uh, George Lucas all coming out at the same time, he said he knew, he knew because they had all worked with Scorsese. You know, um, I mentioned George Lucas because. Where I'm at in Stockton, I'm about a few miles from where George Lucas grew up mm. in Esto, California. And I was one time I was working retail a long time ago, and we were putting up Star Wars stuff for the holidays. And I said, oh, this is kind of funny. And they're like, why? And I said, well, you know, we're not too far from where George Lucas grew up. And they said, who? Yeah. The guy who created Star Wars. Come on. They're like, he's from Modesto? And I said, yeah. So where do, where do you think um, American Graffiti comes from? Where do you think that premise comes from? Uh, you know, those of us in that area, we know about um, uh, they, they would cruise McHenry Avenue, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's fucking crazy. I mean, it's too bad he didn't make more. I, I mean, I thought it was good when Star Wars went over to Disney. I thought, yeah, we're finally yeah. going to get more Star Wars movies. Yeah. And then it was like, be careful what you wish for. Because I was like, Ugh, yeah. I'm not digging I, on, on what they're putting out. I think with The Mandalorian, The Mandalorian basically makes up for what they've done. Although some people have complained and said to me, oh, but it's episodic. And I said, yeah, but 
it's building something and yeah. they, and they they got to keep building from it you know that could be yeah. better that way i mean is is film noir that that actually to tie it back to film noir i mean is that something that you I'm racking my brain right now trying yeah. to think, like, is there an episodic sort of, like, television version of film yes. noir? Perry Mason. Perry the Mason? The version of Perry Mason. I was, my brother had told me to watch it. It's an origin story, and it's got Matthew Reese from The Americans. So it's like, okay, he's in it. It's got to be good. I watched it. I was so impressed and I, I, I don't really like to binge anymore. And so I actually binge it. I thought, I, hmm. I, I just can't put this down. There's, there's newer aspects in it, even okay. though it takes place in the 1930s. Yeah. I'd kind of wondered, like, if, um, you know, like, te television, obviously during the, the 50s, the 60s, I mean, they didn't embrace that kind of style, nor would they tell that kind mm -hmm. of story on television during yeah. those decades. But I think maybe late 90s, as TV moved out of that kind of like episode to episode style of, mm -hmm. of you know, each episode being kind of its own self-contained story to these like longer arcs, they made the seasons shorter. The seasons went from 22, 24 episodes down to like 12 in Sopranos. But I feel like maybe Sopranos was sort of that watershed moment where yeah. people realized we can we can cut out all the filler crap. Cut it from twelve episode, twenty-two episodes down to twelve, but then tell one story over the course of the twelve episodes. Flesh it out a little bit better. Take a little bit longer time to tell this arc, but mm -hmm. then also apply a more cinematic visual style as well. I mean, it's not mm -hmm. I love Lucy anymore, right? I mean, there was a very yeah. different visual style to 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 television, even in the eighties and nineties with Frasier and shit like that. Where yes. nowadays, I feel like you can turn on even like regular cable and you can get some really cinematically crafted um, in terms of like just a visual style. And then I was thinking, well, with, with as much love as I have for like the film noir, neo-noir, mm -hmm. I mean, wouldn't it be, that would be kind of cool to see, you know, we've got something like American horror story where they tell a different story every, mm -hmm. uh, every season, you know, wouldn't it be cool if there was some kind of, um, you know, some kind of television show that was maybe committed to, instead of telling a horror story every season, maybe committed to, like, some type of, of visual style. Yeah. And then you could have an anthology series that was built around every yeah. season tells a new story. Yeah. I'm just going to pitch that to you as an idea. Maybe you can make it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I almost, almost went to film school. I was going to go first to S, uh, San Francisco State and... I was going to go the Martin Scorsese route. I was going to get a, a bachelor's in English, and then I got my master's in film. And then I just realized, hey, I, 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 you know, I'll just work. And I never went into it. And then my cousin said, when, when the technology really went a different way, and we've all got YouTube, he said to me, you know, you, don't, you need to go to film school now. You can just do it yourself. You yeah. can edit. You can add. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that's the, that's a lot, like, a big question about filmmaking is, like, do you need to, yeah. I mean, do you need, do you need $50 million to make a film? Do you need to go to school and have $100,000 yeah. in debt? I mean, there's a, I think there's yeah. a lot of kids that go to film school that we ain't never heard of. I mean, you, you hear about the ones yeah. that make it, but then you got guys like Kevin Smith who never went to film school. They graduate high school or and then they, or Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. I mean, so you start to I wonder, like, yeah, exactly. So it's like, I think for me, it's like you could go to school and you could spend all this money on film, uh, on film school. And then 
you could just owe a hundred thousand dollars and you could be doing whatever job working at Walmart or whatever, but not, yeah. not making film. And then you got guys like Tarantino and others who, yeah. you know, they, they do, they have a, a really true talent for it and they're able to make it happen off nothing. And it's like, kind of like jokes on all these kids who went to film school, like their parents paid for it or they got all these loans that are, they're still paying off in their forties for film school. And it's like, it just, it, that's a tough career, right? I mean, especially if you want to yeah. be a well-recognized film director, if you're, maybe if you're happy working in uh, some other aspect of production, you might be all right, but mm -hmm. you know. I, I had a friend, um, he used to work for MTV uh, I don't think he'll mind me saying that. And he went to the school, uh, the Newhouse School in uh, Syracuse, New York, and studied editing. And he told me at one point he was going to do radio. Mm. And the radio teacher said to him, "No, you're a good-looking guy. Why don't you do? Why don't you become a journalist?" And he's like, "Uh, no." And so he ended up getting into um, editing, and then went over to work at MTV. And he was the one who told me. Around 2008, he says, you know, TV as we know it's going to die. And I said, what do you mean? And he says, it's all going to be digital. It's all going to be streaming. Strangely enough, he recommended an app to me where you can watch TV for free. Hmm. And that's Pluto, the Pluto TV app. Because I guess he said Viacom had been working on that. Yeah. So it's weird how things come around, too. Because it's like, yeah. he's if he was telling you that in 08, and then... Years later, you're watching the rise of something like Netflix and Hulu and stuff, and you're really thinking, holy shit, like people are, are doing a $10 a month Netflix subscription and canceling yeah. their $150 a month cable bill. Yeah. And it's it's amazing. You'd think he's Nostradamus. You're like, holy shit, this guy called yeah. the future. Can I get a lotto ticket number off this guy? But But then it's funny how things come around because now – you know, things kind of consolidated down to Netflix. I remember like circa 2013, 2014, like I had Netflix. I didn't have anything else because I didn't need anything else. Everything was on Netflix. There was a couple of years there where I didn't even buy movies. Like I, I love buying DVDs. I love buying movies, Blu-rays now, 4Ks, but I actually like buying the physical copy. But like there was a while where I didn't even do that because I didn't need to. But now it's it feels like you got... Hulu and Netflix, but then you got Amazon yeah. Prime came in, and you got Disney Plus now. You got ESPN Plus. You got if you like anime, you got Crunchyroll or whatever these guys got. And it's <laughs> now it's like forty different streaming services again, and it feels like everybody's got their own thing. AMC Plus. It's like you can't get the AMC shows on Netflix anymore because you got to go do AMC Plus and Peacock and all this stuff. So it's like I can't yeah. watch Frasier on Netflix anymore. I got to get Peacock to get Frasier. Now it feels like cable again. It just feels like a deli different delivery service. Instead of yeah. instead of having an auxiliary cable plugged into my TV, now my TV is smart and connected to the internet, but it's the same fucking thing. I'm overpaying, and I have 40 different things, channels, that I didn't want in the first place, but I want Frasier, and I want the Netflix originals. <laughs> and So then it becomes like, I got to have 40 days. I'm frustrated. I want to put my foot down over the whole it's streaming thing. It's Hulu, too. Yeah, it's... Uh, and Disney's going to own everybody. Disney's going to own my house after a while. They're going to—they're just buying everything. I think the devil is going to sell my soul to Disney after a little while, and Mickey Mouse is going to wind up selling my or owning my soul uh, after the devil sells it to him because this is ridiculous. It's—I uh, I just do it in the frozen. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. That's that's craziness. But maybe I'll come back as yeah. a uh, 
I'll come back as a film noir star. I mean, you know, I I got that whole Criterion collection. Anytime something comes out yeah. there, I got to pick it up. And they got things like Thief. I don't know if you've seen Michael Mann. I mean, he's Michael Mann makes yeah. a lot of the crime films anyway. Not that I would call Heat a noir type of film. Um, yeah. But I definitely think he uh, Thief might fall a little bit more into that sort of noir yeah. genre. And and again, when it's like when it's a genre, it's like you're expecting certain cookie cutter things. But when it's like a filmmaking yeah. style, then it's it's a certain a certain sequence where there's um you know a tremendous amount of dark and there's there's some light there's some filler, but then mm -hmm. you know high contrast between the dark darks and the light lights, and so you can see these like the silhouette images that are backlit and stuff like that, really stark contrast and really like striking imagery that um doesn't necessarily have to have a hard-boiled detective but it still can be like yeah uh, it's a language it's spoken like i use english because my parents used english because their parents used english although great grandpa spoke norwegian so i don't know eventually ah. somebody learned english and um yeah you know so like we we sort of have these things that like pass on like i might talk a little differently than my grandpa does he would say i say the f word too much but whatever okay grandpa uh you know <clears throat> Uh, but it's yeah. it's like the way that the language goes, it's sort of passed on and it, it sort of like runs this common thread amongst people, states, even larger nations like people on the West Coast talk the same as the ones, at least the same language. They might have different colloquialisms and slang and stuff like that. But it, that's kind of the incredible thing about certain like the, the filmmaking style less than the genre. I mean, you can watch The Third Man. You can watch Notorious. Oh, yeah. Then you can watch something that's more recently, like early 80s, like Blade Runner and uh, Thief. And then My something Memento. more recent, like uh, Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. You could even throw Memento in there. Memento, yeah. Memento Christopher Nolan. You know, you look at the, the Batman movies, I mean, the Dark Knight movies, yeah. and the stylistic approach that he took to them. You know, and that's why they hold up so well. Yeah. And I mean, that's a guy who is, you know, even as he was making a series of Batman movies, is concerned about the way his films look. He he has mm -hmm. a visual style that he wants to convey, and he wants the films to hold up visually. I think that's a beautiful thing about uh, film noir as well, and that's maybe why it receives a lot of attention today, more so than mm -hmm. older films. I mean, there's there's a lot of older films that don't hold up as well. The special effects aren't as good, or you can tell it's like, you know, you watch, um, what's that Charlton Heston movie? Uh, the, uh, the 10 commandments, you know, there's some special effects. He parts the red sea, but it's like, it's kind of hokey looking planet of the apes. It's yeah. kind of hokey looking, you know, but, but, um, you, with, with a filmmaking style, like film noir, it's always going to look good. It doesn't matter that, that yeah. the special effects in 1940 were non-existent compared to today. It, it, what matters is that these guys put together a visual style that's always going to look good. I mean, black and white always looks good. Even today, I mean, yeah. yeah, color photography is nice, but there's something about a black and white image that, honestly, people connect with. And it's it, it, it like, you know, there's something there that's, like, captivating. And so I think that uh, the film noir is almost a timeless genre. I don't agree with the the people that say film noir stopped in 1950s and that you can't have a film noir anymore and that everything now is neo-noir. I disagree with that general uh, that general sentiment. I mean, I think neo-noir yeah. is maybe where you take the noir type of styles and try to, um, try to like, um, 
put them in with something else, try to like uh, apply them other places and see how you can sort of, um, you know, bend them, apply them elsewhere, sort of uh, synthesize something new. But then I think the noir as a, as a, as a filmmaking style and as a genre is still alive and well. And there are things that you can do with it even to this day with more modern films that, um, yeah, yeah, I don't, I just don't agree that it's like, okay, it's, as of 1960, January 1, 1960, sorry, guys, everything that comes out now is a neo-noir just because it's newer. It doesn't, yeah. to me, that's like, it's too simple of a, of, I, it's not interesting. I think, yeah, and, you know, um, you think of, I mean, the people who made those noirs, John Huston, Howard Hawks, what's interesting is, you know, how we were talking about Shakespeare earlier, I time I was quoting them all, my mother let me know that's Shakespeare. My mother Shakespeare. Hmm. And what? And she said, the dreams are made up. That's, that's Shakespeare. I went, oh. And, um, I mean, the Maltese Falcon, what's funny is, years later, um, in the 90s, Stephen Fears did The Grifters, which has a noir aspect to it. Hmm. And he told Angelica Houston, because she's supposed to, I guess, stand in the elevator, and that was a nod to her father and to the Maltese Falcon. That's pretty cool. So, yeah, so noir, noir is continuous. I mean, I remember in Living Color used to make fun of noir, where they would have the character, and she's in black and white, and Damon Waynes or someone walks up to her, and she, call, she calls all the guys Johnny. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like that, that only goes to show how popular it, it is. Like if somebody's going to yeah. take the time to lampoon it and make it funny, yeah. then then you know it's successful. I mean, and you know people have noticed if they're going to take some time to, to kind of create something funny. And I think it's impossible to have a genre where you get these conventions that you're used to without somebody saying, okay, wouldn't it be funny if it was like this instead? Or like, well, let's do something silly. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think that's like that's how you know it's like part of the culture. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's... um. You know, when I set out to do this, that was I thought, okay, well, I can't watch all of them. Yeah. And some of them I've done from memory. You know, it's like, okay, because I haven't watched Notorious in such a long time. It's on Criterion, by the way. It is. I've got the Criterion version. Yeah. Yeah, I have the yeah. Criterion Collection disc. There was a, a they did several okay. years ago. God, it must have been 04, 05, maybe 04. They did mm -hmm. a, um, Criterion did a box set of Alfred Hitchcock films. They did Rebecca, Notorious, The Lady Vanishes, mm -hmm. The 35 Steps, and uh, Spellbound. So it was those five films as a box set of, it, that was all the Hitchcock films that they had released up to that point. I think it's probably, I don't think they've released any yeah. other Hitchcocks. And they did a box set, and I remember back when you could buy Criterion's at Best Buy. I went to Best Buy, and I picked that bitch up, and I got... So I have all five of those uh, movies on Criterion from, like, 2004, 2005. I mean, it was... I've had those things for, like, 15 years. I've watched them a few times. It's nice. I mean, it's nice because, um, like, my wife, Christina... I did mention she doesn't have much appreciation for like the difference between DVD and 4K. She claims to not know the difference. But one thing that I can say to sing her praises is that I can sit down, I can say, hey, here's a movie from 1940. Let's sit down and watch this movie. And in general, not only is she open to it, but she's usually very enthusiastic because it's like, this is cool. I've never seen a Hitchcock, but I've heard his name a hundred times. Let's sit down yeah. and watch Rebecca. Or what is it about this Cary Grant fellow that you keep talking about? I love <laughs> Cary Grant. The Awful Truth 
which is another Criterion film that they put out. The Awful Truth is in my top like five films of all time. Not a noir at all, but it's a fucking awesome comedy. It's a great movie. I love The Awful Truth. Um, and so like she'll sit down and watch one of these these old noir with me where a lot of folks would just say, no, I don't want to watch that. It's old. It's black and white. It's I don't I, it's it's boring. Let's watch something with Vin Diesel and exploding cars instead. Sure. And that's where I'm just like, all right, I, I'm not sure if this is going to work. Like, can can we be a little bit more literary with our tastes? I mean, I don't have to be yeah. too highfalutin, but can we watch a movie that's 70 yeah. years old, please? 75 years old, please. And and enjoy it because, you know, the, the special effects aren't as good. Who cares? It's a it's a noir. It's a Hitchcock. Oh, Michael Bay. Yeah, it's not Michael Bay. We don't have to worry about, um, you know, like uh, Martin Lawrence. Shit just got real. We don't have to worry about any of that. We're watching a film. And it's wonderful how much these films hold up. I mean, they're really incredible films for holding up so well. And I love it when somebody does finally open up and sit down and watch some of these films. And then they'll look at you when it's over. Like, that is an incredible film. It's really good movie making. Mm -hmm. That's why they say they don't make them like they used to. That's true. That's true. And... The way I got into the classic films, and I've always acknowledged them, was the American Film Institute. The American yeah. Film Institute does do those lists up until 2008, I think. Yeah. 100, 100 films. And I watched the 100 Years, 100 Stars, and I was just, and my mother's saying to me, this is your grandmother's era. Because I remember yeah. I asked her about it when she was alive, and I said, well, you know, can you tell me? And she's like, well, I'm glad you're finally into it films of my era and she said to me by the way my favorite is may west and so yeah. i went off and watched every may west she ever did yeah i remember having a similar conversation in fact we're, we're recording this right after thanksgiving i i yeah i remember one year my grandparents my mom's parents they would come this is the first year they didn't come for thanksgiving because of covid but every mm. year they would come for thanksgiving so they could eat we, we could all eat together as a family. Like it'd be, you know, my, my aunt, my, my parents, my brothers, my grandparents. So it'd be a nice big table full of people. And we would all sit down and have a conversation, of course. And as I was studying film, that was probably the first time I started talking to my grandparents about this. They were so impressed that I had seen the thin man and the awful truth and that I knew who Myrna Loy was and Irene Dunn and stuff. And, and so it is true. Your grandparents, like if you try to connect with them on like a, yeah. what was pop culture for them at the time, but now is sort of cinema history for us. Not only is it very enjoyable, I think, to watch all these films that we talk about, but then you can actually have a conversation with somebody from a previous generation, and they'll yeah. they'll respect the fact that you put in the work to to appreciate what was going on during their time. It's like people are going to talk to us one day. Yeah. They're like, what was it like when Kurt Cobain was alive? You know what I mean? We're like, yeah, let me tell you all about Soundgarden when those guys were alive too. Like, it's going to be so incredible that people are going to find. I mean, and all this stuff is waiting for people. It's the same with old music. That's why I love your taste in music as well. Whenever I see you post Thank something you. on social media about music, I'm like, fuck yes. Like, he's talking to me about yeah. music because when you when you're born it doesn't matter if you're born in 1980 or 1990 or 2000 you've got this whole backlog of music that was created before you were even in the world that's just waiting oh, yeah. for you like you're not going to discover the rolling stones when you're 5 
that's fine. No. You've got <laughs> stuff to listen to. There's stuff for five year olds to listen to, but you're gonna hit an age. You're gonna. It might be 13. Yeah. It might be 15. It might be 17. But you're gonna you're gonna hit an age where you're gonna discover Cream. You're gonna discover Clapton. Yeah. That's gonna roll you into the Beatles, the White Album. You're gonna find all this shit, and it's the same with movies. You're gonna find Cary Grant. You're gonna mm -hmm. find. Uh, noir, you're going to find um, screwball comedy. You're going to find this shit, and it's just fucking waiting for you. And that's the thing that kills me about some people that are like, I don't want to watch anything that's older than 2010. Get the oh, fuck yeah. out of here. There's, a, there's such a body of work, whether it's music yeah. or movies we're talking about, and it's like the kids yeah. that I deal with, my nieces or nephews or something like that, and they're like, I don't even want to look at an N64. It's just too old. I'm like, you are... You are missing so much good shit. And yeah. it's the stuff that you're, the stuff you love is built on top of that. It's the foundation. Because the people that make the movies today, they were watching <laughs> the movies of yesterday. You better believe it. They were, they're the ones who are informed by these films that we talk about and the music that we talk yeah. about. So you got to have they an appreciation for it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, when, you know, like I said before, when I worked in retail, which was very short, thankfully. Yeah. Um, Everybody's got to do it. Huh? Everybody's got to do it. I think you got to have a shitty yeah. job. It builds character. Yeah. I was working with these 20-somethings, and they're like talking about, oh, they just got into Biggie and Tupac. And I'm like, huh. I remember when they were alive. Yeah. And they look at me like, what? You're How old. Huh? Yeah, they look at you like, you're old. Yeah. Well, I used to tease people when they'd ask my age. They'd say, how old are you? Like these ladies that I worked with, and I'd say, well, I was about two days old when John Lennon was shot. And they'll yeah. be like, they do the math. Really? Yeah. Like recently they were like, how old are you? And I said, and I told them that, and they went, well, you're going to be 40. I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't remind yeah. me, lady. Jesus. Yeah, that's well, what I tell that bitch. I take, it, I take it with a grain of sand. It's kind of like working with those twenty-somethings. They would say to me, like one eighteen-year-old, he says, "Oh, you, you wish I'd turned thirty-five at the time." And he's like, "Oh, you're, you're going through midlife crisis. You wish you were me." I said, "Dude, I don't. Yeah. I was eighteen. I don't want to go back." I'd be like, "Dude, I'm, I'm thirty-five. Jokes on you. Midlife for me was like twelve and a half years ago. I'm gonna be dead in seven yeah. years. You fuck." <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed your show where you talked about all the people that, that died this year. Yeah, and I, we recorded that before uh, Trebek and um, and uh, Sean Connery kicked it, too. I was kicking myself. I was like, fuck. Uh, you know what? If you watch the episodes that they're pumping out right now of Trebek, you can hear it in his voice. It's it's really sad. Yeah, that's you too can, bad. His voice just gets it's get, it get weaker, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, back to the noir, I mean, you look at someone like Lauren Bacall, who lived into her 80s. Yeah. Um, she was just a month shy of 90, you know. And um, I, when you were saying, you know, they don't make them like they used to, I remember Ernest Borgnine, when he was on the AFI, he said, you know, Lee Marvin once said to me, you know, we'll never see the likes of these people again. And he was so right. Yeah. And, you know, um, and also watching those movies, they remind me of my grandparents. They're both gone now. Um, my grandmother loved Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. And so one night I, I sat, watched TCM till four in the morning watching Mildred Pierce, which is also 
a noir. And people wouldn't think of that, oh, Joan Crawford was in a film noir. And it has all of those stylistic aspects, the, the lighting, the, the beginning, mm. you know, that, that murder where, and he just says Mildred, and it's like, okay, wait, did she do it? Who did it? And then you have the femme fatale, who's basically the daughter. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's crazy. That, that and it, it, I don't know why suddenly, like, it, it popped into my head because we were talking about like, um, is Nora filmmaking style as a genre? And you think that you've got all these <laughs> genre conventions, and you were just pointing out the, yeah. you've got like it just popped in my head. I'm like, is is Who Framed Roger Rabbit a noir film? Because it follows some of the convention, like it's. it's stylistically it's absolutely not because it's like cartoons they're brightly colored and shit uh but then it's like you've sort got it sort of follows the genre conventions though right there's a murder at the beginning and there's a there's a detective and he's an alcoholic and then you've got the the femme fatale and she happens to be a cartoon but it's like holy holy shit should one consider that a noir because it follows the genre conventions of such it's i don't know it's probably crazy yeah well, yeah, and, and maybe there could be a ca good case for Dick Tracy. I mean, that, that you could probably yeah. make a pretty good case for even the, the the stylistic, you know. I mean, that that kind of rolls into the old gangster picks too, like uh, Little Caesar or the original Scarface oh, yeah. or something like that, where you know you have this. Um, uh, that's sort of maybe where those genres meet. It's like an intersection of genres: the crime yeah. film, the gangster film that was very popular in the um, early '30s. You know what I mean? Like that was they had to create yeah. the Hayes Code yeah. because they were so afraid of all that violence and stuff. So yeah. Well, yeah. You know, when I talked about Double Indemnity not too long ago, you know, I mean, the man right there who did the gangster films and then did the noir films was Edward G. Robinson. Mm, yeah. And you look at him in Double Indemnity where he's telling that guy, you know, something's just not right. And he's like, well, what do you mean? He says, well, that little man, that little man inside of me. And the one guy's like, what's little man? He says, the little man in here who knows that something's not right. And he has that feeling about his partner, Fred McMurray. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's one of those. I mean, it's, I, I could talk about this till the cows come home, but. I know. I know you got You got to get some rest. I do. I'm. I'm on baby duty in the morning. We we uh, alternate Ooh. days, which is you know it's a good way to do it because it feels fair. But um, yeah. We, so I'm on baby duty tomorrow morning. So, uh, but I, I'm with you. I could talk about movies. I don't talk about movies yeah. enough. I I could I could talk about movies, and and yeah, like what people don't ever talk about the older stuff, the classic stuff, the way that they're crafted and made, and the way that. They they create meaning and not just you know what's the new Star Wars movie what's the new Marvel movie what's the new huge thing to Disney's oh, yeah. gonna, Disney's got another billion dollar movie they're gonna make a billion dollars <laughs> off you know what I mean it's like that stuff just yeah. ugh, you know it's it's as as fun as it is sometimes I watch the Marvel movies I watched Endgame the opening night but it it does get a little bit like ugh, but I when it comes time it's to talk about. Yeah, when it comes time to talk about classic films, that's where I'm like, yes, like let's breathe some new life yeah. into some of this old stuff. We've got to knock the dust off of uh, The Third Man. Sunset Boulevard is another favorite I know you mentioned recently. Yeah, That's a beautiful yeah. film. I need to make my wife watch Sunset Boulevard. I'm going to go see if they got a 4K of Sunset Boulevard, and then I'm going to piss my wife <laughs> off. Probably by probably Yeah, I'm going to piss my wife off by buying it, and then I'm going to make her watch <laughs> it with me while she's pissed. Yeah. Well, it's been good, Jason. Uh, Absolutely. Thank you for being a part of the Doctor Zeus Film Podcast tonight. Friends, you can check them out on Shit Happens When You Party Naked. 
Absolutely. Let's do this again. Let's do it again. Can I do can I do the thing? Yeah. Can I do the thing where I say unpleasant dreams? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks. All right. Good night. Good night. Take care. Bye-bye.